1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. This is Larry H. Russell thanking you once again for downloading another edition of Celtic Speed. Today's presenting sponsor is the leading organic meat brand in the country, American Farmers Network. AFN's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. With production standards that go beyond even USDA regulations, all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork, to coarse beef, get the most nutritious and delicious meat at www.americanfarmersnetwork.com.
2: Today is Sunday, July 31st, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I'm Nick Gelso, the founder of CLNS Radio, filling in today for Larry H. Russell. Today's episode number 168 is being presented to you by Blue Apron. All you need to do is go to BlueApron.com/slash Beat, and there you'll get three free meals and free shipping. I must say, I'm absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to fill in for, for Larry today on Celtics Beat, and I appreciate him giving me uh, a microphone. It's not very often you hear my voice on CLNS Radio podcasts, except maybe the Celtics postgame show on occasion. Anyway, it seems like every summer I get one episode where I can kind of talk seas and catch up with you, the listeners. Last year, for you history buffs out there, it was episode 120 uh, with Glenn McDonnell and Al McCoy talking about the 1976 Finals. Like I had a great time hosting that show. And talking history, like I said at the top of the show, it's July 31st, 2016, and nine years ago today, Kevin Garnett was traded to the Boston Celtics. We're going to discuss that topic and many more with our guests, plural. Our featured guest is A. Sherrod Blakely, and I'm really, really thrilled to be joined by a good friend of mine, co-host of the Garden Report right here on CLNS Radio, writer for Boston Metro, longtime Celtics beat writer, covering the locker room at TD Garden, and like I said, a really good friend of mine, Jimmy Toscano. So uh, let's not waste any more time, folks. Let's get right into episode 168 of Celtics Beat after this quick station identification. You're listening to CLNS Radio. Home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live. Jimmy Toscano, man, so good to have you. What a what a treat to have you on the other side of the microphone here on Celtics Beat, man. How's your summer been? It's been good. And you know what? The pleasure's on mine because I'm I'm sitting here I'm sitting here on the beach right now. The p-
0: drinking a, a cold p- one. P- yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm talking with the Podfather himself, Nick Joseph Oh man,
2: you. the Podfather. That's hilarious. The Podfather.
0: <laughs> That's going straight to your head. I know that. I know you're not going to yeah. forget about that one.
2: No, I you know we're both two Italians, so I'll take a play off the Godfather and do the Podfather. <laughs> I like that. I like. Okay. That.
0: Okay. Yeah. And um, I've been good. It's been a nice little off season. It's been a, it's been a fun off season. I'll tell you what. It's been in the been one of the more fun off seasons if you're a Celtics fan. I think you know with the with the with the picks with the signing of with the signing of Horford. I mean, I just think it's been there's been a lot going on. Obviously, it's done a little bit with the Durant news, but overall, it's been a it's been a fun off season. I think. You really have to. Uh, Tip your hat to the Celtics for that move, and, you, and if you're a Celtics fan, you have to be extremely excited with uh, with what's going on right now. Because I mean, the Celtics are a top team in the NBA, not just in the Eastern Conference, but you know, they're they're a top what maybe six, seven team. Yep, yep.
2: Talking about getting excited around the team, as I said at the top of the show, today's July thirty first, two thousand sixteen, and on July thirty first, two thousand seven, the Boston Celtics signed KG. Can you believe it's been almost 10 years? Honestly,
0: that's like so sad to hear that. That's that the fact that that's <laughs> been remote. 9 years. We yeah. are getting old. I can, and I it's it feels like yesterday. And I know that's cliche to say, but it really does. I this is before Twitter and all that, but I remember exactly yep. where I was when I heard. I remember what I was doing. You know, I was sitting in my uncle's van. I, I was summer job filling up vending machines just driving around truck full of candy and snacks. I hear it. On the radio, and I'm like, no way, you know. I ca- I call my buddy, call my buddy. He doesn't pick up. I leave a message. I'm like, KG. That's it. You know, that's all you needed. That's really all you needed to say. To this day, I mean, maybe it's just me because at the time, I was, you know, the biggest one of the biggest Celtics fans I knew. Um, I haven't experienced uh, a, you know, a moment and where like everything just when Kevin Garnett was in, you know, flying into Boston and you know, introduced like. It just felt like the city stuck, you know. It just felt like that was just a transcendental day in in, uh, in Boston sports, and it it's, and it and it turned out to be. I mean, it turned out to live up to that hype. Um, uh, that season was magical, to say the least. And yeah, I mean, nine years ago, do you remember? Do you remember where you were when you heard?
2: Yeah, I was actually just getting out of the restaurant business. I was a restaurateur, and uh, I was cleaning out my restaurant after getting sold, and and bang, the news hit and i stopped what i was doing and the emotions of 2006 being such a bad year red hour back died it just seemed like everything right. that well, i loved I about this. yeah cuz think about it. i grew up in the 80s so you know i got the 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 uh, a good portion of that that era that i remember really closely and I was you were a Celtics fan man you, you 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 were proud and i think from patino to you know, right through to with that, except with that 2002 season. But really, it never the swagger never came back, and immediately the swagger was back. And I think within two months that summer, so probably by September, you you started to see Celtics jerseys in the Poconos of Pennsylvania again, which was something I'd not seen in decades. Yeah, meant meant quite a bit. What's interesting, uh, Jimmy? Recently, Doc was on uh, Warjanowski's Vertical, and he mentioned. His favorite ever season as a coach was 2010, not 2008. Now I covered the team in 2010. I wasn't obviously covering the team in 2008. You were there in 2010. Which year, I guess, from a fan coverage standpoint, do you prefer? Well, it's or actually find more it, it's interesting.
0: I guess it's an interesting dynamic because 2008, I was a sophomore in college. I was I was an aspiring you know journalist reporter, but I had never covered the team. You know, I had never stepped foot in a right. locker room. I was strictly a Celtics fan at that point so experiencing that from a fan's perspective was you know obviously amazing and then I would say yeah that 2010 season I was you know at that point covering the team it was awesome I mean it was like my first season covering the Celtics and look at look at them they're in the NBA finals and I'm you know at the time I don't think I realized how special it was you know it really was I, I can see where Doc's coming from that team was awesome and I think when 2008 was such a whirlwind where I don't, you know, they just hit the ground running, and it it was just, it never stopped. In 2010, there were, you know, more, there were more obstacles, you know, they you were in that crazy, crazy playoff series with the Lakers, and just, the, yeah, the ups and downs, and what Doc said, it holds true, it's, well, you know, they, they couldn't win that game, and it's that, it's that drive in Doc now, and it, and it's like that with a lot of players, you know, I'm sure that's why guys like Kevin Garnett still play the game, I mean, he, he needs, you know, two hours of maintenance after every game, but he's, he loves the game because he loves the win. He loves that feeling of winning and that's you know, it's why he came to Boston, that's why they won. It was unfortunate that they couldn't get another one or two out of it. I, you know, they were that good where you kind of think that they probably had three championships in them and in two thousand probably win that series if Perkins is, you know, not hurt and they hold on to that fourth quarter lead obviously in, in game seven. But that was a great team and those guys, you know, they have a, they have one of those bonds that you'll know, just never you know, the two thousand eight team obviously does, but I think that two thousand ten team does too because they went through, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Ultimately it ended in a a low.
2: What was most exciting for, for me being outside of the garden that season, actually 2011, you took me under your wing covering the team, covering Locker my first time in Boston. So I I still thank you for that. Uh, But 2010, what was really the high point for me was, okay, they had just beaten LeBron chance of, MSG or whatever they were chanting at the garden while LeBron was at the free throw line was amazing. The high, high point was when they beat Orlando at the garden and doc saying, you know, this team when healthy has never lost a playoff series it mm. just seemed like, that. I remember that night calling John Corrales, calling Justin Poole, and calling Coop, everybody that I knew as that was going on, just because it was just so unthinkable that a team that was so piss poor in the second half of the season can come together the way they did in the playoffs. I'd never seen anything like it, because usually a team needs to build momentum going into the playoffs, and right. the Celtics just suck that second half of the season.
0: I just think, yeah, they, I don't want to say, you know, they held off on, you know, going gung-ho until the very end, but it did seem like... I was going to say like, they did. Yeah, I was going to say, but it did seem like that may have been the case because these guys, you know, they're, they're getting up there in age, but like, the best players are, are old. When the lights go on at night and the, and the spotlight's on them and time-time, those guys showed up to play. They love the limelight. They love shutting opposing fans and teams up. There was nobody with that swagger that, that they had. I just remember that Came in MSG when Pierce hit that dagger Ugh. and KG took a ball. Oh my God. This like that sums great. up. That really just, yeah. I mean, that, that was that team. And obviously if you weren't a Celtics fan by then, then you'll obviously never be. And you know, for, for guys like you, you said the 80s had you know, guys like me, we were hanging on to, like you said, that one or two seasons in the early 2000s with, you know, Pierce and Antoine and then rock bottom in 06 with, you know, Pierce going down with the foot and like allegedly, you know, thinking about leaving Boston if things don't change and then red dice. It's just like, is this really, is this like really clearing up? This is absolute worse. And then for it to go complete 180, it's, it really is
2: unheard of, you know, in sports. So
0: great memories, great memories will happen forever.
2: Yeah, now now that we got all our fanboy uh, stuff out of us, uh, <laughs> I think one one more thing on the doc topic, the doc and Woj interview. Doc mentions Paul Pierce. If he does retire, he will retire a Celtic on a one day contract. I find that amazing as a fan. I find it intriguing as someone who covers the team because in my mind, Pierce has to had to have expressed an interest to Doc about doing that because he was adamant about it. Well, listen, I mean,
0: I'm kind of in the opposite. I, I feel like it was just a foregone conclusion. Like there was never point. It doesn't 0. happen often, Jim. Amari like Stoudemire, Stoudemire just signed a one-day one contract for crying out loud. I mean, listen, it was a foregone conclusion in my mind that Pierce was going to retire at Celtic, whether it was a one-year deal and finish off his career or whether it was one of those one-day
2: ceremonial deals. Because, I mean, yeah, it's a, you're right. It doesn't That's happen it, that one, often.
0: After I'm Stoudemire, that,
2: you know, how often does it happen?
0: In no, basketball, at least. It doesn't happen often, but a guy like Paul Pierce doesn't come around often either. It would happen. It will happen with a guy like Pierce. It, you know, Kobe retired a Laker, but if he didn't, he would do it. Same with Duncan, same with Dirk. You know, these guys are going to re, uh, quote-unquote retire with the teams that, you know, you identify them with. And Pierce is 100%. I mean, especially in Boston, which that's just the, the landscape of the city where, you know, he, he is such a huge part of the Celtics. And the Celtics organization it's just no secret that, you know, Rick Rouseback is, you know, one of Paul Pierce's biggest fans. I mean, those guys would bend over backwards for a guy like Pierce. So it's, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, to me, it it's going to happen at some point. My picture perfect scenario is somehow Pierce ends up on the Celtics for a final year. You know, I'm not saying like has a shell of yeah, himself. No. I don't want the guy walking around on a cane. But if you right. can be an effective player and the Celtics get thrown so swing it's really a great deal. Oh, listen, be, I mean, no fan in me, the fanboy in me would love that. I don't know if it helps well,
2: them, but me, me too. And, and the, the thing about it is though, I, I, I see that it could potentially help them in a limited capacity. I mean, they do need a uh, go-to guy down the stretch. Now, Evan Turner's no Paul Pierce, but he definitely was very good in crunch time. He's gone. It would be nice to have a Paul Pierce come in off the bench down one with ten seconds on the clock. I'd still give it to the truth in that position over anybody else on our roster probably. I might give it to him, Big
0: but I, I, I might give it to him, but I can see how that would become a hairy situation because yes, he he has the clutch gene. But then you're getting into now you're getting into okay, well he's way past his prime. Should he really be giving the ball in a situation when you have a guy like
2: I'd say
0: a Thomas or whoever it might right. be you know, right. Al Horford, you know, with the ball. I, I, I think for me it would be more just that cliche, veteran presence, championship mentality, knows how to win, blah, 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 all that stuff. Good locker and just room sort guy. Of, yeah, a good locker room guy and just sort of just sort of close it down the way everyone kinda of way back thought it would end. But Tiny kind of Sky I thought See, I don't think Pierce is gonna retire. I think Pierce is gonna play another year. A I lot of people are ret- saying that I don't think he's going to retire. I think he's going to play. One. I think it's one of those things where Doc's just like, all right, we'll see you. You know, we'll see you know, in camp or whatever. And Pierce is going to play. Uh,
2: getting to current day, Jimmy, Jay Crowder. And Jay has been supremely vocal. Our our guest today is Asherod Blakely from CSNNE.com, your boy. And we're going to talk about uh, the exception Crowder took to a recent article Sharad wrote about potential free agents next season. But Crowder's been vocal all the way around all off season, in particular with the Kevin Durant comments he made following uh, Durant going to Golden State. Yeah,
0: so right the bat, I just want to say, Jay Crowder to me epitomizes this Celtics, this current Celtics team. I think when you think of the Celtics, if you're like, who, who, who sums up the Celtics? Like, which player really sums up the Celtics? I think you got to go with Jay Crowder. Even if Isaiah Thomas might be the you know the most popular, or now it might be Al Horford, whoever. I think. When you look at the style of play of the Celtic, it's Crowder. Reason being is his energy, his attitude, his sort of his little swagger that he's got going on there. He doesn't give an F about, about anybody else aside from the guys wearing the same jersey. Very bold guy. The, the Durant stuff, just watching Crowder play and watching the emotion, you know he's going to be emotional about Durant burning the Celtics and going with Golden State. You know he's an emotional guy. And a lot of guys would maybe, you know, text a buddy and say, well, F that or F him or yeah. they, you know, yeah, screw him. that. Greyer doesn't care. He's like, he's going to just say it. He's going to say it out there. I like that about him. But I think in this case, I I, I think it's a little bit of sour apple, sour grapes. It's Durant's, it's Durant's choice. If you're a fan, I totally, I'm totally on board with you criticizing the, the decision. If obviously, obviously, if you're a Thunder fan, you're going to criticize it. But if you're a Celtics fan or if you're an NBA fan, I can see why you would criticize it. I'm okay with it. A lot of people are saying, well, oh, you have no right to bash the player. And I think you're going to do. I think you as a mm-hmm. fan you do have that right but as a player I'm not really sure I'm not really sure the criticism was was warranted as much because Listen, nobody made you. Like, uh, what Carter said was, told him everything. We told him. Oh, well, that, yeah, that, no. that was
2: kind of ridiculous.
0: We told him, like, how we beat, how we beat uh, the. I'm warriors. sure they drew
2: up X's and O's. Come on. Right. But even if you did, like, okay,
0: that was. Your, why did you do that? Like, that wasn't. Yeah, no, you're we, an idiot. You didn't have to do that. <laughs> <You're right>. First <laughs> no, of all, exactly. it's not some kind of secret. I mean, they all have the same. Everybody's looking at the same film you are, for the most part. I mean, it's not. Unless they've got some secret camera angles that nobody else has. I mean, you can see what the Celtics are doing. On the court at all times. So
2: not only that, I, now Golden State has Kevin Durant. I mean, everything changes. All, all the whole game plan has to change. Right, but
0: what? But, but, but what, yeah, But what Crowder was saying was, we told him how to beat the Warriors, and then he went and joined the Warriors. Well, okay, like right. listen, don't tell him. Don't tell him how to beat the Warriors, man. I mean, that was right. That was right. your choice. But I understand where he's coming from. But I will say this: the other stuff that Crowder's been going off on all summer, totally on board with it all. Yeah, you love him yeah. going after the Raptors. I don't care if that's yeah. you know bulletin board material. He said, we're not worried about the Raptors. That's instilling a little bit of swagger, a little bit of confidence in some of, the, some of his teammates. I like that attitude. I like him kind of trashing the Wizards in order to get Horford to come with the team. Yep. I think that's, you know, I mean, what do you think about that? I think that's totally fair. I think that, that's-
2: I like all of it because the team has not seen swagger like this probably. I mean, we were just talking about the KG era, but I would even go back to probably 2012 in the KG era was the last time the Celtics saw swagger. Like this, yeah, not to say that the team has the same amount of talent or caliber talent, no, but this team has so much unity. I mean, you see it on the players' Instagrams right now, they're all working oh, out yeah. together, so oh, yeah. you see unity, you see confidence, I love it. Uh, give them bulletin board material, you know it, it's different right. when you're the you number can back two it up, people. go ahead you got yeah, to back it up, though. you got to back it up. But it's also different when you're the number two team going against the number one team and you're, you're, there's miles of distance. The Celtics are number two. They're going against Golden State, and we're going to give them a full bulletin board of, of material. That's a bit stupid, right? But right now, I mean, what he's doing is trying to motivate, bring the group together, uh, I think probably ruffle some feathers. I love the swagger. I love it.
0: I love it, too, and I think it's going to make the games a lot more interesting. I think Crowder, I mean, Crowder, he's not just doing it for a team. He's doing it for himself. I mean, we're going to talk to sure. Sherrod about this in a bit, but Sherrod's gallery on potential players the Celtics could acquire next season because they have opt-outs in their contracts. Well, most of them are small forwards. Jay Crowder gets word of or Jay Crowder's season on Twitter, read the article, gives the old um, sleeping emoji face. I think he gave like 10 emoji faces. Yep little uh over usage of the emojis there but the (laughs) you know the the point he's trying to make is don't even bother me with you know this is nothing to me like I'm you know I'm the guy here right now like I'm confident in my game we don't need these guys like we're good so that that that's the part of J Carr that uh that I really uh, am enjoying right now
2: well you mentioned Sherrod he's our guest he's now in the virtual studio with us
1: so uh let's bring on a Sherrod Blakely my guy okay let's do it Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, critically acclaimed author and host of Celtics Beat. And I'm privileged to be joined by Daryl Conant, former U.S. Olympic Committee strength coach and one of the leading strength and condition specialists in America. Daryl, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Larry. Thank you. Daryl, you're a student of the legendary bodybuilder Vince Gironda. Tell me a bit more about Vince. Vince Gironda was considered the pioneer of pure natural bodybuilding. His training methods and nutritional concepts are still being incorporated in many gyms throughout the world today, and I had the privilege myself of having him as my mentor. How can we learn more about the methods of the Iron Guru? As a student of Vince Gironda, I always wanted to give back to Vince in some way. I wrote a book entitled Invincible that depicts many of Vince's
3: programs and nutritional theories that he taught me. For more information on this book, folks can visit my website
1: at www.darylcarrant.com. Daryl Vince had so many methods and ideas for achieving optimal health. Care to share any while we're here? One of Vince's most popular nutritional concepts was his recommendation of eating organic grass-fed beef to build muscle. Organic red meat is loaded with nutrients necessary for building quality muscle. As Vince would always say to me, you must eat the type of food that the muscle is made out of, red meat. Get on that path of effortless fat loss and optimal health by following the appropriate nutritional methods and get it from the country's leading organic meat brand. American Farmers Network at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Today's featured guest
2: segment is sponsored by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. As a former restaurateur, this is what I love best – Blue Apron encourages families to cook together. Their step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipes are fun for children and even the most novice of cooks. Because you're such a loyal listener of Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, we ask you to support those who support us. Blue Apron is a huge supporter of Celtics Beat and how we get this done every single week. If you've even considered trying Blue Apron, we request that you do so by using our custom url blueapron.com slash celticsbeat there you will get three free meals and free shipping in the month of august you can look forward to amazing recipes like spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salsa summer vegetable and quinoa bowl with fairy tale eggplants shishito peppers and corn and this one's really cool chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa again that's blueapron.com slash celticsbeat We're now joined by Boston Celtics insider for CSNNE.com, A. Sherrod Blakely. Sherrod, I got to throw this at you. The last time you and I spoke on a podcast together was December 26th, 2011.
3: And it was a memorable one.
2: It was a me- you don't remember, man. You were all you remember. It was the day after Christmas. So the day after you were probably Christmas. hungover.
3: It's the day after yeah, there- Christmas. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We
2: weren't you weren't you in Detroit for a while? I was in Detroit for quite a yeah. while, uh, like, and we like nine to- years. We used to break your balls. Something fierce about it because uh, uh, it was like you were in purgatory. Once you get then you got sent to Boston. It was like basketball heaven.
3: Well, 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 now listen, I, I can't bash Detroit too bad because while I was there, they were pretty damn they won. good. They won yeah, a lot of games. Good. In fact, they won more than a green team during that period of time. So That's I, a good point. But, but you've got to go back to the, the fact that I was in Detroit, and that is what that's it is. The but the basketball that, was awesome. The but basketball Detroit, was I was going
0: to say, Detroit, you know, not much to look at, but when you go to a, when you went to a Pistons game back when you were covering the team, that was probably like – that was the thing to do back then. Was it not?
3: Listen they were they were as close to what we see right now in Golden State not in terms of the play but in terms of the atmosphere just off the charts always high energy crowd i mean very electric atmosphere and and people had reason to be excited i mean your team was winning 50 plus games every year getting to the conference finals or the nba finals for five six years in a row i mean that when you have that kind of prolonged success you're going to have a very enthusiastic crowd and that's what you got every time you went to the palace you know back back in in a day,
2: sure. I mean, I don't know, Jimmy. You're you're a bit younger than us, but it was like that during the Bad Boy era. I mean, the, the Palace was a a crazy place to play. Even the Silverdome when they played there. I mean, Detroit fans have always been pretty wild
3: they've they've been like that when the teams have been really good it it, it's you know it's funny how that works I mean some organizations like the Celtics even when the Celtics have been bad as you guys know the fans have still been really engaged and energetic and into it Uh, Detroit was one of those cities where they were um, they were when the team was doing well, they were extremely good in terms of really keeping themselves locked in and cheering on their guys and, really creating a very raucous atmosphere. Uh, not, not a lot of teams are, are like that. Unfortunately, in the NBA where, you know, success can force fans to step their, you know, fandom up. Uh, but Detroit was certainly one of those cities and one of those franchises where that was, that was a clear,
0: clear uh,
2: thing that was happening. Yeah. We have that type atmosphere here yeah. in Boston, luckily. And, Sure. You're talking about
0: you're talking about the passion with the Detroit fans. I have to ask you, where are you covering the team still? during the infamous Malice at the Palace. Yeah, I had to bring it up, didn't you, Jimmy? Damn it. Yes, I was there. I was there. I was there when Ron Artest,
3: you know, made his Usain Bolt-like sprint up into the stands and beat the crap out of Joe Fan, followed by, you know, Steven Jackson. Yeah, I was there for all that. Thanks a lot for for bringing that up. It was the most bizarre night I've ever experienced as a reporter. And you always hear about it in the movies and stuff like that where, or even just average people when there's something really unexpected bad going wrong how time slows down and people move in slow motion i've never experienced that until that night i'm looking at ron artest running behind press row and i swear it looked as if he was like just taking you know five minutes to get from from where he was sitting to where he was beating the crap out of fans but it was more like eight nine seconds It literally felt like time had slowed down, and it's the most bizarre, surreal feeling. And then it it sinks in that nothing will ever be the same after what I just witnessed. Uh, That night, you know, I didn't finish, you know, writing that night until maybe 4 or 4.30 in the morning. And what really, really pissed me off was it was a Friday night game. Indiana already had that game won. It was theirs, and we were just basically waiting for the clock to run out. And, and for you know, for folks who don't understand this, beat writers, when you have a Friday night game, typically you have <laughs> earlier deadlines. And so when you're in a situation where a game is over, that's a good thing because that means you can pretty much craft your story before the final yeah. horn sounds, and then just kind of fill in some of the blanks at the end. But needless right. to say, we all had to write a different story. The narrative was a little different. It was a, the narrative. was was a little bit different than what we had thought it would be, you know, in the last couple minutes,
0: obviously. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I couldn't even tell you until right now. I, I probably couldn't even tell you who won that game just because, you don't, know, you have no idea after something like that. It's one of the rare instances that happens once in a moon where it becomes a news event, you know, the sporting event becomes a news event. You know what I mean? It's like the game yep. becomes
2: secondhand and – it, it, you just, all the all know. the networks broke in, Jimmy. They all broke in for that. All the yeah. networks broke in and breaking coverage. I mean, it was really truly embarrassing, embarrassing for the league. I think one interesting tidbit wasn't Tim Donaghy refing that game. Uh, Tim, No. I don't think Tim was doing that. I think game. he was. He well, may have maybe been. then he lied about. <laughs> Maybe then he lied about it after the fact because I think I, he's told me that he's he was at that game. He may have been there physically. Uh, he
3: has a he, he has a way of kind of you know weaving narratives that well they fit whatever narrative he wants them to fit. Um, Sounds like
2: politics today. There you go. That must have
0: been. I mean, that must have really been just
2: something else
0: to just beat us that. I mean, I can't even imagine how you. Go- I mean, were you were you were you ever at all nervous for your own well being in the in the middle of that? No, day, I mean, were you... no, I, I was
3: very confident that I was going to be okay regardless of what was going on that night. Uh, the only only thing that was a little weird was like Jamal Tinsley, you know, had him and I had like like a uh, eight second stare down, and I didn't know what that was about because him and I had never had any issues. <laughs> I don't know what that. But Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle, he saw it, and Rick was just you know he just grabbed Jamal and kept moving. And we just kind of went our own ways. And, and I've seen Jamal all since, then, and we laughed about it. But at that point, adrenaline is so high, emotions are so high, you really don't know. You There's a high probability that you're going to say or do something that you would not normally do under typical NBA Absolutely. basketball game circumstances. So um, other than that, it was, it was pretty – what's that?
2: Any good – I mean, I I know there's a lot of YouTube clips of the 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 brawl, but any any good YouTube clips of you reporting on the sidelines of the brawl?
3: Well, the the one thing you know, I've seen this photo before. I mean, there's a photo of me on press row with my computer in one hand and my other hand clenched because that's just kind of (laughs) of my. At that point, that's my that was my mindset. I mean, I need to protect my computer and I need to protect myself, and so I had a firm grip on both. At that point,
2: ever the professional, always right. the professional, Sherrod.
3: <laughs> try to be, try to
2: be. Oh man, this is a Celtics podcast. Let's reel this back in. I'm that's, gonna go right into, fun, huh? yeah, it was fun and really interesting. Uh, but I'm gonna go right into uh, Jay Crowder, Sherrod. Recently, you put up a gallery.
3: Speaking of emo-
2: uh, yeah, speaking of emotions, and Jay's been vocal lately, uh, obviously with the KD stuff but uh you had put up a gallery on csnne.com and jay took exception to it on twitter yeah
3: well first first and foremost the first thing that i thought of was like hey he's reading my stuff someone's reading my stuff
2: stuff?" well
3: you know i feel this way i feel that way but i don't really read what's going on oh come on
2: come
3: on so first so when i saw that i was like okay cool jay reads my stuff and then i saw the emojis i'm like oh that's kind of cool, too. <laughs> this, is the thing that, this is the thing I don't think he, he, he
0: understood.
3: Awesome. All those guys that I, I listed were guys that were good enough to where their teams gave them the ability to opt out and become free agents next season. The position that Jay plays is a position that every team wants to have at least one elite player like that. That's why they give their young right. guys the ability to opt out. And that's why you saw guys – you know, like, you know, Gordon Hayward and you see, uh, you know, young fellow from, from Denver, yeah, yeah. you know. Rudy and, and Gay, most, you know. Yeah, Rudy Gay. Those are guys that play his position. I get it, but one of the things, Jay, he, he knows this. Danny Ace does not care if your feelings are hurt, if you bring to someone as good or better than you. I mean, Gerald Green, I love him to death. But he's not here to babysit. He's here because – James Young, a guy that the Celtics have talked a ton about, about his upside and potential. He's not getting it done. You need someone at that position to get it done. That's why they brought in Gerald Green. Getting back to Jay Crowder, the reason why I mentioned all those other players is because they're going to be available, and the Celtics are always looking to get the best talent available. And he knows that. But listen, I love Jay. Still love Jay. Always will love Jay because now I know he does the same thing that I do with him. I follow him. He follows me. We're all good.
0: Life is good. good. and honestly, honestly, good. And honestly, he can't really take exception to that. I mean, the guys you listed are all, you know, superstars. I mean, it's not its right. not a knock on him. It's Listen, everybody knows that Small Ford was one of the shallowest positions on the Celtics last season. I mean, when Crowder was banged yeah, up, well, they had, right. they had nowhere to go.
3: Right. And I'm, I'm hoping that this, that, you know, he'll use this as motivation to step his game up. Well, maybe that's what it is. And, and Jay is one of those guys, and I, I know this about him. He finds ways to get himself psyched up pump up, you know, that, that chip on the oh, shoulder yeah. that, you know, as you start getting success, it's harder to find chips that fit just right on the shoulder that you can play off. And maybe this for him was, was a, uh, just another chip he could put up there, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, and he knows this as well as I do, play your game. If you play well, it doesn't matter who they bring in, you're going to outperform them if you're handling your business.
0: Agreed. I mean, I, I think I think you know that. I mean, I, and I think I, I, I like... I like Crowder's attitude. I, I, think, I think he's kind of like the idea well, of the I'm, I'm glad,
3: I am glad. I'm glad he takes exception to that because his whole thing is, I'm as good or better than all them dudes you got on your list. Even if they make more money than me, even if they've accomplished more this week, I still think I'm better than all of them. And I totally respect that. But Jay knows as well as I do, as I, as I said a little while ago, it all comes down to what you do on the, on the floor. Perform, perform, perform.
0: Absolutely. And I think when, when he has been extra vocal this offseason, regardless of what it's, whether it's been about, you know, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't vocal about your gallery, gallery, but, you know, he mentioned that he's been vocal about the Eastern Conference. He's been vocal about Durant. I know we're going to get into that later, Nick. But I, just, mm-hmm. I, 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 I like that because I, I like the attitude. I like the confidence. I don't think it's cockiness more than it's confidence. He's setting the tone early on that, you know what? Celtics are feeling good right now. You know they just got a huge, huge creation in Al Horford. Yeah, they missed out on Durant, but so did thirty. You know, so did twenty-nine other teams. Uh, and I think he's kind of setting the, the tone for uh, for the team. I think I, you know, guys like that, that's huge for you know guys like Isaiah Thomas have been driving that point home. I, you know, you, you, you hear from Isaiah Thomas the confidence in his voice, and I think it's really sort of carried over to guys like Crowder and you know more quietly a guy like A. Bradley. I think Marcus Smart kind of has that little that little attitude swagger to him. So I think that's why these guys are so successful. And I think, I think honestly, get, get Al Horford a little bit of more of an attitude, and you might, you might yep, have a little yep. beast of a player there.
3: Yep. See, here's the thing about Al Horford. You're not going to get more attitude from Al because that, that's just not who he is. Al is a blue-collar, you know, lunch pill kind of guy. He's going to get you 15 points, 8-9 rebounds, and he's going to play great defense, and he's going to do that night in and night out. And the nights where he plays above that, you're pleasantly surprised, but not shocked. And the nights where he's maybe a little bit below that, again, not terribly. You know, you're not ready to throw him out with the bathwater or anything like that. But because you know, in the NBA, guys are going to have nights like that. But the point that you made earlier about about swagger, and that's the one thing I I do like about Jay Crowder. I mean, mm-hmm. he is not afraid to throw shade on anybody if he if he feels no. Bolden a dude. I mean he started I mean he started bashing Washington. When Washington was supposedly right. in the Kevin Durant Sweet space. I mean he made <laughs> it pretty clear that Washington? Seriously? Come on now. Yeah and, and Washington and Washington fans and players took exception to that. But you know what? Jay's not gonna back down from those words. He's gonna stand by him. You know, when LeBron James back you know when they were um, in game four, you know, where Kendrick Perkins came in and, and just, you know, he clocked he clocked Jay. Jay was not yep. afraid to get up in LeBron's airspace. Uh, no matter what the series was at, and at that point, no matter what was going on, and again, you need guys like that who can not only back that stuff up with their play, but also can talk the game a little bit. You know what I mean? Well,
0: you know, aside from anybody wearing that jersey, yeah. he's not here to make fun, which is rare. I in think it is. And,
2: and I think too, with with uh, Turner being as vocal, God, I'm going to miss his sound bites. But him being as vocal as he was, and now being gone, I think the Celtics. You know, they could use a guy like Crowder to kind of compensate for that without being absurd. Uh, you know, like, but I will miss uh, Turner's great <laughs> post-game pressers. I mean, God, I think we have a best of somewhere on the YouTube channel, some of the, the crazy things Turner said after the games.
0: The Joe Green signing, and how does that sort of affect maybe a couple guys that's, you know, on the right. roster? And, you know, what, what do you see from Joe Green? I think it's a great signing. You know, I mean, better than minimum. He's only 30 years old. We treat the guy like he's, you know, 35 in the last year of his deal. He's not that much older than Al Horford. I'm not even well,
2: Sure, Not, not, not just, not just that, but I mean, he's, old, fair- he's And you know, Al Horford just turned 30. Right. Well,
3: they're, okay, still, yeah, they're yeah. still fairly young guys. And with Gerald, you're talking about a guy who probably has a little bit less wear and tear on him than most 30 year olds. Not uh, because he spent, remember, right. he spent a couple years out of the league. He was playing over in Russia and, you know, in, in Europe and stuff. And so. His body is probably closer to maybe someone who's in their late 20s, as opposed to being a 30 year old. And and the thing about Gerald, he's walking into a situation where they're not counting on him to go out and get them 10, 15, 20 points a night. I mean, Gerald is a backup. He's a guy that's going to fill in those gaps at the shooting guard spot when, when they need you know some scoring punch on the perimeter, or you know he can spell Jay Crowder at the three spot. That is what his value is. And and that again, I get back to what I was saying earlier about James Young, that's why Gerald Green is here. Because James Young in his two-plus seasons in Boston has shown little to no signs of being able to help him. And, and that's and that's why. That's why a guy like Gerald Green is here. Because if Jay, listen, if James Young had a strong, solid, off-the-charts type of summer, Gerald Green would not be here. Because the Celtics, in their mind, they would have that guy that could swing between the shooting guard and small forward spot as a backup to Jay... Uh, Jake Crowder, and also as a guy that can that can give them a little bit more length uh, at that two guard spot than what you've got with Avery Bradley right
0: now and Marcus Smart. No, and and you're right. It's, it's year three. You know, we're we're on year three of James Young. I mean, you rarely ever see a guy do three summer leagues, but they're trying. They're they're desperately looking for something out of this guy. You know, some kind of sign that it's either click or something that's gonna make him, uh, you know, trade worthy. And I just I. I me personally, I haven't seen it yet. I think I think you kind of nailed it though with the Gerald Green signing is is you know it's it's to replace a guy like Young who just let's be honest. I mean he couldn't crack he couldn't crack the rotation at any point last year. There was a couple times Brad Stevens threw him out there. Uh, in my opinion, Young looked a little bit overmatched. Um, you know they say he's you know they and they and they say the right things They say oh he's playing well in, you know in practice he's doing this he's doing that. But when it came to the games. He rarely did he get off the end of the bench. So I think the green signing is to address that. Does that mean, in your opinion, then, is, is James Young on the outside looking in when they trim the rosters down to 15? Because there's going to be a little camp out going on now with Young. Oh, oh, wow. And yeah. you've got Hunter. So who do you think who do you think's on the outside looking in, and, and, what, and what do you think about the, the battle for that last spot?
3: Well, they, well, right now they've got 18 guys with either guaranteed – or partially guaranteed contract. And so, you know, the, the math is pretty easy. Three guys have to go between now and the start of the season. You know, John mm-hmm. Holland, they, they signed him to partial. I think he's good as gone. I, I can't see him getting a spot, especially after they drafted Jalen Brown. Right. Uh, and so then that, you're looking down the road. I think James Young is the next guy to go. Uh, when you look at the, at some of the, the, you know, the guys, the rookies that they drafted, uh, John Holland, a holdover, and, and James Young and RJ Hunter, James Young is far and away at the at the end of that list. So, that to me, I think it's going to come down to Ben Bensel and R.J. Hunter for that last roster spot. I, Who do you and like? That, whew, that I, I like R.J., but, man, I love, I love Ben's potential, man. I mean, he's 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and he's got a little nastiness in him that the Celtics were pleasantly surprised to find out in summer league. And, and I've talked with Ben a number of times leading up to the draft and since he was drafted, and he is a guy, I'm telling you, he's going to be, I think, a solid NBA player. But the thing about RJ, RJ already has experience in the NBA, and he's already shown that he has certain skills and, and qualities that translate well. The, the ironic thing about that is the one skill that we have really looked for is shooting. shooting, he hasn't really shown that. But he's showed all of right. those other type of intangibles that you want in the player, and that's great to see, because that means that this guy clearly had, is nowhere close to reaching his pinnacle in terms of what he can bring to the game. And and that to me is why I don't think you give up on a guy like that after one season. Especially in the one season he did play, he showed a lot of positives.
2: Oh, great passer!
3: Yeah, yeah. There's, especially there's in the pick, no. I mean, I, pick and roll. I, I yeah. love watching him. You know, with that, that nice little pocket pass, he's making those out of pick and rolls. He's he's a good player. But man, I, I love Ben though. Oh, I love
0: Ben. I do. If they love Ben as much as you do, maybe there's a little potential for a some sh- roster shuffling with the trade. I mean, I, you can't rule it out. But I'm with you. I think there's no chance they, they've given up on Hunter. I mean, you don't draft a guy in the first round and a shooter in the first round and give up on him after one year, I mean, when, when you're not even really playing him that much. He's one of the yeah. guys out there that does have Steph Curry range. He's nowhere near Steph Curry's yeah. talent, but he does have that range, and that is obviously valued in this league right now. So
3: Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, that that also hurts him, and it, it hurts really basically any guy that the Celtics have drafted in the last three years, is that those guys are joining teams that already have young veteran-type players, guys who've been around the league a little bit. And so the opportunities for them to get out there and to to play and and ultimately fail and then flourish after failing are fewer and far between. You know, you look at R.J. Hunter. He showed a lot of really good things last year. But the only reason he got time was because Marcus Smart got hurt. And Mm -hmm. they didn't trust James Young enough to throw him out there. So they said, let's see what RJ can do. And he was
2: a is, pleasant surprise to them. Is this going to be Marcus Smart's breakout year? I hope so. I hope so. And I, I think it will. I think it will be. Shirod, I mean, Sherrod
0: oh, oh, no, yeah, me. has been in
3: Marcus Smart's camp from sure. day one. Damn right. Yeah. Damn right. Not, and, I, and I'm not worried. Sherrod to talk
0: my ear off in the, in the office. He used to talk my ear off. I, I, I used to be up over, over my head with Marcus Smart antics and, you know, the referees <laughs> and the flopping. <laughs> And I go to and I'm like, can you believe this? Can you believe this guy? He's like, he's like, I I like it. I like I like what he's doing. He's he's, I going he's passionate. To he's when
3: I think back to the Boston Celtics last championship, talk all you want about the big three. I love James Posey.
2: James, James Posey. Posey. Yep.
3: I, I love I loved Tony Allen. I love those guys that are that that they they straddle that line between crazy and just complimentary chaos. <laughs> He is he is a complimentary chaotic player that when you're talking about winning a championship I think you need a guy like that. I think you need someone that is a little bit off center that has talent but isn't necessarily one of your main go-to franchise type players. Marcus Smart is that guy. He can defend all in my opinion he Maybe like a Dennis months.
2: Johnson, Sherrod. Does he fit into the Dennis Johnson mold?
3: A little bit, yeah. I can see that. I, I, although Dennis, I think, was just a better all-around player. I think Marcus is a a more physical defender. I think Dennis Dennis was physical, but Dennis had a certain yes. finesse about his physicality that I don't think Marcus has just yet. But yet. yeah, yeah. But I, I definitely I could see those two being in the same. I could see them being in the same house, uh, same same area code, same same region, uh, but definitely not the same in terms of what they can do. But Mark, listen, I love the fact that when he's on the floor, I'm never going to have to question his efforts. I will question his decision-making. I will question his attitude, but I'm never going to question effort. And the one thing I've learned in all the years that I've covered the NBA, when you have guys whose effort is never an issue, you don't let those guys go quietly. You find a way to get them on the floor because if they are if they got talent and they got 24-7, 365 effort, they're going to help you more nights than not.
2: It must be a CSNA thing because uh, Gorman was on one of the shows on this network and you just do not take Marcus Smart's name in vain with him. I mean, he he says trade anybody but Smart.
0: Yeah, he's a well, huge Marcus. I, well, well, he's, he's almost too huge. on smart there. Listen, I,
3: I I love Marcus, but if Oklahoma's came to me and said, "Hey, Ross, we'll give you Westbrook, but you've got to make get a package together that's going to send Marcus Smart back here." I love Marcus, I really do. <laughs> but I'm going to love him in the I'm going to love him in a yeah, thunder totally. uniform at that point. I'm going yeah, to love him in the. But, and, but again, that to me, I I don't think any player in this NBA is untradeable. I, not not a single player, uh, because ultimately it comes down to what am I getting in return? What am I mean as good? I mean as good as LeBron James is. I mean there are scenarios where I could see him being traded. It, I don't think it'll ever happen, but it could theoretically happen. And, and, and no disrespect to Marcus Smart, but you ain't LeBron James, buddy. Sorry. If Mark
2: if Marcus doesn't have that breakout year this season, does his value really start to drop? I mean, that I think, would be what. Yeah,
3: what? I, I think a lot will depend on how well or not well the team plays as a whole. I mean, for example, if let's say, you know, Marcus doesn't have a great season statistically, but his defense is solid and they get to like the second round of the playoffs or the conference finals, and he plays a role, even though statistically his numbers may not be that great, then his value is, is about where it is. The thing about Marcus Smart, I, when I think of breakout seasons, I think of guys who, who not only and they significantly upgrade their impact on the game, but also statistically you can back it up. I think Marcus can be one of those guys who statistically doesn't necessarily make this tremendous leap, but he can be a more impactful player, even if the numbers may not necessarily suggest it. And to me, that, that's where Marcus is at. A breakout season to me is when he can do both. A good season is when he can stay the course, still make an impact, and you know, not see his stats take a you know, huge precipitous drop.
2: Yeah, he really needs an injury-free season too. He yeah, to that'll help.
0: In games. That would definitely yeah. help. That'll help a lot. This is going to sound like a knock on him, but it's not meant to be. I, I, think it totally that is because you the, hate him. <laughs> I do not. I do not. I hate some of the things he does on the court, but I, I, I do. I'm coming around on him in terms of what he brings to the team. I think that he has like the perfect makeup for like that sixth man type guy, and I know that you don't draft a guy in the first round to be coming off the bench, but with the roster makeup the way it is right now, that just might be his role. And I think that he can thrive in that role because of all the qualities you listed about him: his effort, his intensity. He does have to, he does have to get the shot down a little bit more. And if that happens, I think you're talking about a guy with, with lots of value.
2: Well, i stop the flopping or at least perfect it.
0: I, I this is what, you know what
3: though? Here's the thing about the flopping. And, and, and I hear that a lot, not just from Jimmy. Um, but <laughs> when you look at the amount of flopping he does, uh, it's hard for me to tell him to not do it because, to be honest, he gets that call more often than he doesn't. He gets it a lot, and because the verdict out, though. the verdict is out. Yeah, yeah, the well, verdict's out. Well, well the, the, but the thing about him that I, I like is that because he's so physical, um, he forces guys to go at him harder than they normally would. And referees recognize that. That's why he's able to get a lot of those calls. I mean, when you've got guards trying to be physical, Marcus Smart, he's, you're, you're playing right into his hands because when you, when you make that drive and you lower that shoulder, he's going to flop because the referees are going to recognize that was a non-traditional basketball player you just made. You don't go shoulder-into-gut of a player. And Marcus is such a smart defender, he's able to sell that call better than most. Listen, I hate seeing flopping in the game, but when I see it done with a certain with a level of intelligence, which I think Marcus Smart does, I mean, it's clear that he's thinking about this stuff and it's not just Hatch. There's, there's some thought going into this on the floor. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Bring, I, I'm totally
2: cool with that. Back to, bringing it not, back to Dennis Johnson, he was a, a, a big flopper, too, when it wasn't even fashionable to flop.
3: Right, and the only dif- only real difference is that we've got social media and replays well, and nazi you know, replay. and and, yeah. and they just didn't back then. But the players yeah. knew that, and, and and that's why you know I, even though we're you know we, we put a bigger spotlight on what Marcus Smart and and Anderson Varejao and you know Manu Ginobili, those guys have done. The only reason it's a bigger deal now is With because arm. we have more opportunities to see
0: it. You know, yeah, yeah. And I'll say this yeah, about. Yeah. About the flopping and that, I'm not even that upset about it when it happens. It's when it's when he doesn't get the call and then gets upset about it and then upset that turns it, right. into negative, like decision making. I mean, we've seen it. Sure, we've we've seen him like get upset yeah. about a non call and then you know the the stupid foul at the other end of the court or whatever yeah. it might be. That that's the part that he needs to he needs to learn from, and, and that that'll come. I think I really do think that that'll come. Just with with maturity and just with experience in the league.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's 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 a young guy trying to figure out how to you know how to establish who he is in this league, and, and he'll he'll get better at that. I'm not. I, I mean, of all the things that I am concerned about, Marcus Smart, that's pretty low on on, on the to do list.
2: Yeah. I, I got. I'm going to round this out with you know. Rec- I'm sure you heard it recently. Doc was on the vertical and kind of shifted all the blame uh with the trade rumors for griffin on bloggers. We all covered the story, right? I gotta get your take on that. Um Doc's comments regarding blogging being behind uh the, the Griffin rumors.
3: Well there, listen there there I mean there may be some truth to that. I, I we don't know exactly the conversations Doc Rivers has had with you know other teams with the Celtics uh, in, in regards to Blake Griffin, but let's just look at the fact. You have one of the most talented teams in the entire NBA, and you have not done diddly squat with it. You have a player in Blake Griffin who has <laughs> individually, you know, torpedoed your chances the last couple of years with just stupid stuff. I mean, punching a trainer, come on, really? I mean, that, that's, just, that's just a dumb thing to do. When players do dumb things that have significant impacts in a negative way on those respective teams, they become players other teams talk about. Regardless, of what, I mean, regardless of whether the Celtics and Clippers were close, conversations were being had among other teams about interest in Blake Griffin. Doc Rivers never said that no one called him about Blake Griffin. He never said that. But, no,
2: you know, but he did say he and Danny only talked about golf. Now, come on. Yeah, he's got to say that. Look. <laughs> he's got to say it. He's got to say it. But it's also ironic that, that uh, you know, right after the interview, the trainer is released from the Clippers or he resigns.
3: Exactly, and, and this and to me, the only thing that was shocking about that was that it didn't happen sooner, but I got to believe that right. he got a nice little parachute exit on the way out and in the form of a nice oh. fat check from either the Clippers I'm or Blake sure. Griffin for his troubles. Um, but, sure. but but the bottom line is this, when you have star players and they are not performing up to par, or they are doing things off the court that are having significant negative impact, those players are going to be talked about as potentially being traded, because Everyone knows you can't win when your best players are hurting you. It doesn't work. It never has, and it never will. And so Doc Rivers, he may not have been actively or aggressively looking to trade Blake Griffin, but teams have inquired about him. That's something that is undeniable. It's just a matter of whether there's something out there that Doc feels is worth moving him for. Because at this point, there's a window of opportunity every team has for winning a championship. And I don't believe there's is open anymore. I just don't believe it is. And when that happens, that's when you start looking to break off some of the pieces and start over. I don't know if Doc is at that point yet, but he should be. Because that team is not going to win a championship.
2: It's so ironic because, what, three seasons ago he left the Celtics because he didn't want to rebuild.
3: Three and seasons gonna...
2: later, Brett and Brad Stevens is, is looking at you know a team on the precipice of contending. And Doc is almost going into a rebuild.
0: Doc, I mean, going to have to think about trading Griffin at some point, I think, this season. Well, he's not, oh, mean, yeah. Those, well, not, aren't not kinda, those rumors aren't I mean, going to Yeah, you you got to
3: think about also Chris Paul, too, because here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Paul is going to be available soon, and you don't want to lose him and get nothing in return. And Chris Paul is at that point where I do believe for the right situation, he will take less money, which, it, it, which it, this, oh, is, yeah. this is the irony of that. Less money in the new CBA is more money than it would have been in the old CBA. So he could take... <laughs> quote-unquote, less money and still make more money uh, in, in the new CBA to play for a title contender. I don't think the Clippers are there anymore. I think that window is shut, and I think you're going to start seeing Doc Rivers slowly but surely come to that realization. And I think one of the first players to go will be Chris Paul. And, and, I, and I, think, I think that's because – and here's why. Because Chris Paul has value. You can actually get yourself a young, established, underwise rise superstar talent player – for Chris Paul, and probably a draft pick and an, or another asset as well. I don't think you're going to get fair market value for Blake Griffin. I think you're going to you're gonna lose in that trade. But with Chris Paul, I do believe that you can, if you're the Clippers, if you were to move him, I do believe you can get something of value that can help you both in the short term and long term.
2: Well, and Chris Paul is at the point in his career now where he's got to start thinking legacy. Yeah. And like you said, that's where they start. Players start thinking about taking less money, and less is more in today's CBA. So, which is such it an awesome
3: sense. thing to see. I got to be honest with you. I mean, I'm one of the few people that believes players should get as much money as they can because I know for a fact they have a very short window to get paid owners that money's coming in every year so the money that Mm -hmm. the players get means money that the owners aren't going to get but the owners again as i said they have the ability to keep that money coming in that's why you don't see a lot of owners coming into the nba because it's a cash cow right
2: now well you know jimmy and i discussed earlier today the big day in 2007 the celtics acquired kevin garnett july 31st 2007 is kind of the deadline, the the fictitious deadline for seeing any kind of moves this off season. Do you think the roster's set?
3: Yeah, yeah. I I don't, I don't see Boston. I don't see really anyone doing anything of significance at this point. That uh, the main key players that we were focused on this off season, you know, going into this off season, where they are now is where they're going to be at the start of training camp, uh, and that and that's not a bad thing, particularly through the Boston Celtics, because clearly. You have a roster that's more talented, but the one thing about this roster that I, and I, I, we're going to be talking about this a lot this season because I think it's going to be very pronounced when we see it in play. The level of athleticism is significantly better going forward than we've seen in the past couple of years. When you add a Jalen Brown, who was one of the best athletes in the draft, you add a guy like Joe Green, who we've seen both at home and from afar, is an off-the-chain mm-hmm. athlete. We're going to see more Terry Rogier this year, and he, to me, is one of the more underrated athletes on this team. Those guys are going to step up. I think this entire team's overall play Simply because of their ability to get up and down the floor, to do, to make more athletic plays, to at both ends of the floor, that is going to be a huge, huge, I think, area of improvement that we see in the Boston Celtics. We'll wrap up
2: with this, Sherrod. The most cliche question in uh, in media, uh, blogging, etc. Season starts today. Roster in place. What's your predicted win total?
3: Oh gosh, you weren't kidding about cliche.
2: man.
0: Oh, uh, for the for the Celtics, I'm going to say 51.
2: <laughs> I said 52. Jimmy, I'm going to go with 51. I'm going to
0: go 53 because they could have won. They could have won. They were closest. They would have had 50 last year if that crowd didn't go down. So I'm going to go 50. I'll go 54 actually.
2: Wow, I'm at 52. And uh, with that, he's a Sherrod Blakely, CSNNE.com, Boston Celtics insider. Sherrod, we'll catch up with you again soon, man. This was great. Sounds Thanks good. And so we'll do job. it
3: before December, and we'll let a shorter period of time pass. Because December 26, yeah. 2011, man, that's that's a wild, man. That's a
2: long time. <laughs> now, you've been on shows on this network since then, but just I haven't spoken to you in that long. <laughs> Except I've seen you in, at the Garden a couple times. So Yeah, it's well, great. I, I show up there every now and then. Yeah, every now and then. You're <laughs> the hardest-working guy in the business, bro. Good talking to you. <laughs> you too, my friend. Jimmy, this has been a ton of fun you know the off season has been spectacular this year but now we're getting into august it's it's kind of the doldrums so it's nice the to go down is. memory lane about the kg era Sherrod had some really interesting things looking back at the malice at the palace i mean that was that was, that was pretty cool. awesome to hear his perspectives it's never boring to get on the air with you oh i appreciate that dude i uh,
0: i, I want to come on more often hopefully we can do this more often during the season
2: We'll see you on the Guard Report this year. Uh, you're going to be acting right. in the Guard. Uh, yeah, and I can't wait for that. That's fantastic. You're right now with Metro Boston doing some writing there, correct? I am. You know, on I'm on Twitter.
0: i poking you, around on Twitter.
2: Yeah, I know. You're Right now you have a uh, a petition out to Twitter to get me verified, being you're now verified. <laughs> how the hell did you get verified? Ooh.
0: Well, you know, I know some people that know some people. And come on. Come <laughs> on. I mean, what do you mean how did I get verified? Look at, <laughs> look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm a walking verified guy right here. Walking, talking, verified. I'll tell you what, your world, your world will change once Twitter verifies you. Just Things start going your way. It's just a whole, there's a whole new world that you don't even know exists. And once once you get Shut that... Are you pretty sarcastic? No, it's, things just start to fall in place for you. Like, So you get mean, more dates. Way more dates, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll casually, <laughs> casually bring up the Twitter timeline on a date maybe, and they'll see it, and all of a sudden, you know... <laughs>
2: On that note, follow him at Jimmy underscore Toscano. Jimmy, we'll see you on the Garden Report. We'll see you at the Garden. This is a lot of fun, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Bye, Nick. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Celtics Beat, episode 168. Music for this show was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, and Steph LeGrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Celtics underscore beat. Of course, on Twitter at CLNS radio. And you could find me, Nick Gelso, on Twitter at CLNS underscore Nick. And don't forget to like Celtics beat on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Today's episode was brought to you by Blue Apron and American Farmers Network. I'd love to thank our guest, A. Sherrod Blakely, my guest co-host today, Jimmy Toscano, our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell. I'm the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, filling in for LHR. Thanks for listening, and Larry will be back on Celtics Beat next week right here on CLNS Radio.